Matthew 26, 26 through 29 says this. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then listen to what he says here. Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And that last verse has always been interesting to me, that he says that he won't drink again with us, with his disciples, until his Father's kingdom. And that should give us a clue as to why communion, what we do here this morning, it is a time for us to search our hearts. It is a time of quiet, of introspection, but it's also a time of celebration. It's also a time that we can lift our voices. It's a time to celebrate, to anticipate something else. What is Jesus talking about when he says, I will not drink again until I drink with you in my Father's kingdom? Revelation 19 gives us that answer. Revelation 19 is this marriage supper of the Lamb. And that happens in eternity. That happens in heaven when we're with Jesus and like Jesus. And it's a great celebration that it's going to be. And so what we're doing here this morning is it's in the here and now, but it's also a rehearsal for something that is to come. When Jesus said, the next time I drink with you will be in God's kingdom He's probably talking about this passage in Revelation 19. That one day we will be with him for all eternity. And there will be this marriage supper of the Lamb that's mysterious to us. And it's not going to be somber. It's not going to be a downer. It's not going to be a time where we're just focused on ourselves. It's going to be a time where we're looking at, at Jesus and nothing but Jesus. In fact, there's going to be a lot of singing there. There's going to be a great multitude, a big sound, because it's going to be a celebration. And so our celebration of communion here is just a rehearsal for that marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19 says there's going to be a great multitude, a great multitude singing together. Listen, it says this, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Can't you wait for that day? I mean, are you just longing for that day? That day when our faith will be sight. And his bride, that's us, has made herself ready. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord Almighty reigns. Think about that word, hallelujah. It literally means praise God. And I can see why we're going to be praising God at the marriage supper of the Lamb. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more conflict. No more crying. No more disappointing one another. No more fear. No more anxiety. So I can see why we praise God in heaven. But what about today? What about in the here and now? Why praise God now? Peter tells us 
in 1 Peter 1.3. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, here it is, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says, praise God. Why? Because we've been born again. Because we have that living hope. I mean, what does that even mean? We throw around that term, born again, born again. What does that even mean? It means, listen, to be born from above. It means to be adopted into God's family. It means being transformed, not perfect, but transformed from the core of your being. It means that you, that I, that we are a new creation. It means that the old life has gone. It's been left behind and new things have come. It means transferring our trust in our own efforts, in our own works, to the efforts of Jesus. It means that there's no temptation that comes upon us that we can't overcome because of Jesus. It means that we won't go back. It means that we won't go back to the way we used to be. It means that we won't go back to before Jesus came into our lives and changed us. It means we've been healed. It means we've been freed. It means we've been delivered. It means all of our guilt, all of our sins, all of our shame was nailed to the cross. It means that we are forgiven. It means that God responds to our great sin, to my great sin with great mercy. It means that God's capacity to forgive his children is greater than our capacity to sin. It means that we spend our lives serving, loving one another, instead of being served and loving ourselves. It means eternal life. It means we've been raised from death to life. Listen, it means that we don't need just a little bit of help in our lives. It means that we need full transformation. It means that we don't need a little pill to you know, become holy. It means that we need resurrection from the dead. Because Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And that is something to celebrate. That is something to exalt in, as it says in Revelation, that we will do. To shout for joy to sing for joy, to be so happy that you may burst from the inside out. The marriage supper of the Lamb is the living hope we were born into when Jesus saved us. Revelation 19, then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses." From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe 
and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we come celebrating this morning. We come singing. We come searching our hearts. We talk about having a period of self-examination. And, you know, when it comes to self-examination, this can go two ways. In one way, we examine ourselves. We look at the law of God. We look at what the law of God requires in the scriptures. Not our version of it. Not your parents' version of it. Not the pastor's version of it. But God's version of it. And we look and we see anytime there's a command in scripture. And we see what's required of us. So we examine that. So we look at our prayer lives, for instance, and we don't say that we need to wake up in the early in the morning and pray. That's not what the law of God requires. It doesn't require that we pray three times a day. That's not what it requires. It requires, as Paul says, that we pray without ceasing. So we examine ourselves, and we come up from that self-examination seeing that there's no one who prays without ceasing except for Jesus, who pleads our case daily, every night, all the time. He's always interceding for us. And so we, we take the law of God and we see what the requirements are. We see how much we fall short and we come up from that self-examination thankful for Jesus. And then we come to the table and we taste and see, as the psalmist says, that he is good. 